I didn't want to pull punches. I wanted to be very clear on, listen, there is a structure in place that doesn't benefit most people. And that's not American. That's not the American way. That's not why we're here as a country. Mm -hmm. Those aren't our ideals. Our ideals aren't let a small percentage make most of the money and have a thumb down on the rest. Hey, welcome back to Connection Request. I'm Joel Lehman. This is the final episode of season two, but don't worry, we'll be back in the new year for season three. More on that in a minute. Today on the show, I'm talking to John Arms. He's a fractional CMO, co-founder of Voyager University, and author of a new book called Revolt, The Rise of Fractional and the Death of Full-Time. Or as some folks in the fractional community like to call him, the mayor of Frackville. In today's conversation, we dive deep into the world and movement known as fractional. For those who aren't familiar with the term, a fractional executive refers to someone occupying a permanent leadership seat in a company in a fraction of the time thought necessary. In our conversation, John walks us through the basics of the fractional movement, how it differs from consulting, what kinds of professions it's for, characteristics of someone who is a good fit for fractional, and what it really looks like day to day to be a part of this world. We also talk about some of the megatrends that got us to this point, all the way back to 1970, Milton Friedman and shareholder economics, through to the Great Resignation, quiet quitting, and the rise of the fractional economy. I've got to say, the picture John paints of the future is a really exciting one. If you're interested in learning more about the world of fractional, I highly recommend you go grab a copy of his book, which you can find a link to in the show notes below. Thank you all so much for making this a fantastic season two. We love making the show for you and are so grateful to everyone for listening. And hey, if you want to help make the show even better for next season, would you take five minutes to fill out our listener survey? It would really help us and mean a lot as we plan for the future. The link to that is in the show notes also. Okay, we'll get to my conversation with John in just a minute after a quick word from our brilliant sponsor, SK Coffee. This season, we are thrilled to be sponsored by SK Coffee, a specialty coffee roaster based in Minnesota, shipping worldwide. Listeners of the show will remember Sam from season one, where he shared his journey from musician to entrepreneur. We'll hear more from Sam later in the episode. John Arms, welcome to Connection Requests. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Joel. It's good to be here. It's so good to have you. As I ask every guest on the show, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. So who I am. So you've already said it. My name is John Arts. That's the name I was given. I am somewhat of, you know what they call me? They call me the mayor of Frackville. Great title. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I am a fractional professional, fractional chief marketing officer. And I am an educator of what fractional is and can do to people who want to do it and people who want to hire it. So, and that's kind of a big deal. So I'm also an author, teacher, advocate for small business. So all that mixed into one makes one John Arms. What a great answer. Well, we are going to get into all of that and more. We're going to talk about your book today. I'm really excited to have you on to just unpack fractional because I think it's a word that, at least for me, it's all over my LinkedIn feed, but I think not everybody understands it. So I'm excited to have you on to um, shed a little light. 
But first, this is a show about people's career journeys. So I want to go back in time a little bit to figure out how you got to where you are. Um, Before you became the mayor of Frackville, you started your career, I believe, as a copywriter at Best Buy. Tell me a little bit about John Arms back then, what you were doing, what motivated you to do that, and what the early chapters of your career were like. Yeah, yeah. It actually even goes before Best Buy. I was my first copywriting job. So for those who don't know what copywriting is, it's like you're coming up with the commercials and the ads and telling the story on behalf of your clients. And now we're going back in the time machine here, Joel, because that was quite a while ago, which I love. I'm very proud of all that time. But I was a writer at the Minnesota Daily at the University of Minnesota. Hmm. And then I got into the ad department. I started writing ads there. And then I took my first job in 91 when I got to college. It was super hard to find a job. There just was not work. And so you were taking anything. And I saw an ad in the back of Adweek magazine that said copywriter needed in Great Falls, Montana. Couldn't have pointed it to you on a map. So that was my first copywriting job. And then from there, I worked my way, as most people do, through creative departments, through most of my career, for a big chunk of my career at in-house places like Best Buy, at agencies like Call McBoy and Big and Small and but I'm always doing the creative side of things and the writing side of things and more of the outside of the box, not, you know, the, the part of the economy needs people that think the way I do. And I think like others, like we just don't fit in normal buckets. We just see things through a different lens. And so that's yeah. where I found my career. Yeah. So found that and and worked my way until I finally decided to start my own agency in 2004. And yeah. It's funny. yeah, at that time, I thought, let's make a digital agency. And in 04, we hmm. digital what it was then, 19 years ago, isn't what it is now. It was more hmm. of an inkling. And started that, ran that CEO and drove it to as high as I could take it. And then in 2018, I decided, you know what? I'm dubbed on that. It's independence for me from here, which has always been a thing for me and my family. But like from here, it's independence. And then I had to shape what that was. And that's what brought me to being a fractional pro, an educator. So during that time of founding and running your own agency, what did you learn about yourself? What did you like about it? And and what felt like you needed a little bit of movement towards something more independent? A couple of things I learned about myself was that, that there's a place in the world for people like me who have ADD, you know, <laughs> a never ending stream of good or bad, right? But a never ending stream of ideas and thoughts and creativity and good or bad, like not everything I did was great. And, 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 but having a place for that mindset, like I was glad to see that there's a part of the economy that has a willingness and openness for that. So I learned Hmm. that. I think a lot of times you look at the American economy and it seems very linear. Everybody's in their place. Things are very organized. The structure's kind of set and, and there's sort of a pre-model for everything. What I learned is Actually, the best things in the economy run on a very adventurous entrepreneurial foundation. So that was the first mm-hmm. thing I learned about the economy and myself that I have a spot in that place. So, yeah. so that's one of the things I learned along the way. Many other things I learned. So tell me a little bit about that journey in 2018. I'm going to guess we didn't have the word or the language fractional at the time, but what what did kind of the early innings of your time in this journey look like? In 2018? It's such a fun question. Oh my God, I love talking about this. So the first few innings of Fractional, it was called the gig economy. That's how we referred to it. And it was all mixed together. There was really from a legislative side and a tax side and any other side you'd look at, there really wasn't much different between a freelancer 
there wasn't fractional. So a gig economy, whatever, a contractor, a consultant, an Uber driver, like it was all one big mix of yeah. not W2 people. It really yeah. was the wild west of that, right? Just anybody who is a weirdo that's not a W2, you all go in that box. And then since 2018, we've sort of organized like, okay, they're, they're different, right? They're different. Mm. So let's understand those difference and and help ourselves understand them and create some education around that. For the longest time, fractional was thought to be a fancy word for consulting or freelance. And they're completely different. They're not the same at all. In fact, this is what we work so hard to educate on, but you know, that's how people understood it. And yeah. so the early innings were about understanding what it is and the benefits it has to those who practice it and those who hire it and how it differs, yeah. which means how to utilize it, what the value is, how to pay for it, the structure. So yeah. The early innings were crazy, man. Well, in that case, I think let's dive into that education. I know you spend a lot of your time thinking about, writing about, talking about, and educating people on how to do this and yeah. how it works. So I would love to just kind of walk through the basics, if that's okay with you, a little bit of fractional 101. So just a few questions to ping you on, just kind of yeah. the basics to really help our, our audience get what we're talking about here. So first of all, how does what we're talking about, fractional, how does it differ from consulting or freelance? Sure. And I'm going to start with the definition for you. So fractional, I think that's a good place to start. Yep. Yep. Is occupying a permanent leadership seat in a company in a fraction of the time thought necessary. And I'll break okay. that apart for you. Okay. I'll start with you're a leader, right? Fractional is a permanent leadership seat. So what does that mean? It means those critical leadership functions that everybody has to have a CEO, CTO, you know, marketing, sales, ops, proficiency in all these areas that every business needs, right? That's leadership. And yeah. fractionals are leaders in that space. You own the responsibility and accountability for that. You just happen to do it in a fraction of the time thought necessary, which sure. is so interesting. So that's the definition of fractional. When I say permanent leadership seat, the like, you know, best way I can compare that is, let's, say, let's talk about marketing. If you're running a business, you have to have it, right? It's permanent. It's always there. But it doesn't mean it needs all of your attention all the time, much like the reverse in your car. You have it, got to have it, but you're not using yeah. it the whole journey. Yeah. And so it's permanent, but it's not full time. There's another way. Yeah. So, so yeah. now how does that relate to consulting? Consulting yeah, or freelance. Yeah, yeah, right. Consulting and freelance, they're generally not, they might be a little bit longer term, but they're not permanent. Freelance, okay. for example, is a company, hey, we need a new website. Okay, yep. there's a beginning and a middle and an end and a contract and a scope and time, but it's not permanent. It's important, but it's not permanent. Same thing for consulting. We need to study a new dimension of a market. We need somebody to really understand that for us. We need to go harness that information. I need a consultant. So again, time bound. Those other things are also almost always defined by a scope and an hourly rate. Mm -hmm. Fractional, I wouldn't say exclusively, but more and more every day is defined by a retainer with a monthly rate. Just easier sure. for everybody. Yeah. So Makes those sense. are a couple of differences between fractional consulting and freelance. And so you, John, started this journey as you're a fractional CMO. That's one that I've seen a lot. What are the professions generally that we're seeing in the space of fractional right now? So we're basically touching everything right now. It's where it's come to is, fun fact, we started 
Voyager University as a company called Unified Funnel Metrics. How, how nerdy is that? It was literally fractional training for marketing people. And we yeah. had all these people coming in that weren't in marketing. They were in ops and IT and finance and taking the coursework. And like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I want to go fractional too. I'm just not in marketing. I just want to do it as a general counsel or an ops person. We're like, oh my God, well, that's, you know, you got to listen to the market, right? That's what the wonderful Seth Godin has taught us. Like I always listen to the market. I'm like, okay, so we're going to open the tent. And yeah. we this fractional, the drive for fractional is not limited to marketing. It just happened yeah. before it started. Oh, so yeah. So that is, it is now touching it. It's really important to understand why that is. Why is fractional touching every area? It's not because it fits with certain roles or industries or disciplines. It has much more to do with the larger dynamics behind it, the social, cultural dynamics around the workforce today. Yes. Like, 2021, we had the great resignation. 11 million people in the country said, the heck with this. I don't like the status quo of work. I'm out. After that, yeah. we had quiet quitting. We continue to, and nobody wants to go back to the office. So the reasons people are attracted to fractional, yes, there's a spot for everybody, but it doesn't have as much to do with the role and what technically it fits as it does to why people don't want to go back. To the yeah. world we were living in the Milton Friedman shareholder economic phase of the American experiment. Yeah, we're going to get to all that and more. Your book, which we're going to talk about, mm -hmm. I think really you just paint such a nice kind of picture of how we got to here and the background, I think, of why people are going this way. Mm -hmm. Just maybe one or two more questions about just the basics yeah. and the 101 what are a few characteristics, John, especially when you have students come into your programming? What are the characteristics of someone who is a good fit for this versus yep. someone who maybe, you know, if they get through it, they learn about what it is and you're like, actually, no, you just, you want a full-time job or you want to do something different. Tell me yeah. about who are the people best suited for this sort of work. Sure. The people who are best suited are typically over 45 years old. And I want to unpack that a little bit. They're older. Mm -hmm. They've been around, which means they've amassed a level of wisdom and that which comes with it. Security, yeah. confidence, you know, acumen, they have built all of that up. It's like this wonderful reserve of wisdom and everything that comes with it. Well, that kind of only comes with time, right? Yeah. I mean, you just have to be in a space for a long time to understand the wins and the losses and the failures and the breaks to have that wisdom. Yeah. Arthur Brooks writes this, writes this great book called From Strength to Strength. And it talks about when we're younger, we have fluid learning. And when we're older, we have crystallized learning or crystallized intelligence. And so those with crystallized intelligence fit really well. Yeah. So the next part of that comes to, so how do they find themselves there? Well, oftentimes what happens, or almost most of the time what happens is people find themselves in a spot where all of that amassed wisdom and skill and acumen has tapped out in the place it mm. was before. Either mm. their division shut down and they're gone. They've been laid off. They don't want to work there anymore. Corporate America doesn't feel right. They're tired of bureaucracies. There's all sorts of big things that when you read about the great resignation, it's all line listed there. And I talk about it in the book too, is why do we exodus? It's because we have all that capability and promise and skill. And it doesn't yeah. have a place to go. Not a real yeah. good place anyway. Yeah. There's only enough. There's <laughs> these structures in the American economy. Like we put guardrails and limits around us that we shouldn't like, oh yeah, you're wonderful and you're awesome. You have a lot to give, but stay in this little division of this company and, you know, make a living and pay for your insurance, but not much more. 
It's not a good, that's not good and sustainable for America. It's better yeah. that everybody's really fulfilled and happy and productive and healthy. And the fractional world gives you that opportunity. Corporate America, not so much. Sadly yeah. True. Well, and you have a quote in your book that I think for me really sort of crystallized what we're talking about. And business leaders, you know, people who might be hiring this kind of role, they would prefer 50% of an A player versus 100% of a B player. Can we talk right. a little bit more about that? Like what for the typical fractional executive mm -hmm. in your world, in your community, what's kind of their world, their life look like? How many engagements yeah. do they have at a time? Yeah. yeah. What's that look like today? Yeah. Yeah. So the it's wisdom work. And so wisdom work looks different than churn and grind work. And so the days obviously look a lot different. So when I say hmm. wisdom work, I mean guidance and direction and being an ally and using that wisdom to help move the company forward in the area that you're in. That's what this work is. So what that breaks down to is, well, generally wisdom work is not grind work. It's thinking hmm. and directing and communicating and talking. It's not, did you ever see the movie um, Office Space? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great movie. It's not TPS reports. Yeah. Right. Like it's not just yep. corporate churn of activity, right? It's yeah. pause and think and contemplate and clash and dialogue together and collaborate. That's wisdom work. And yeah. we need that. We want that. We love it. And people are actually really hungry to do that these days because they haven't had yeah. as much opportunity to do all that wisdom work. So the days tend to look like that. Funny thing, you can do that really well for three to four clients. And people wonder, like, how do I make time for three to four clients? Like, well, you remember when you had your corporate job? How many tasks did you have on your list every day? Oh, like 40. Okay, you can handle three or four clients just fine. Right? We don't totally. normally think about it that way, but that fits. That works. It's not eight hours per client. It's really not even time bound. Like you'll use your wisdom and solve a sales problem in a matter of minutes because you're using 30 years of experience. There's no yeah. hour that angers to. There's no yeah. churn. It's thinking work. So what I generally counsel people is for every client you have, plan one hour of time per client per day. It could be thinking time. It could be talking time. It could be leading people. Doesn't matter. One hour per day, three clients, three hours per day. Good. You've had an awesome day. Now, how yeah. come we're able to have that? Why is that even possible? Why do we think that a three-hour day is good? Well, first, it's your, your highest value stuff, your wisdom, your ideas, your energy, your leadership guidance. Well, why is there space for that? Well, if you talk to most executives and ask them this question, how many times, how many hours a day do you spend in meetings? We poll our members. It's eight hours a day, six to yeah. eight hours. Okay, so why do you have space for three hours that's effective? Because you're not doing six to eight hours of useless meetings. One more question before we dive into the book. Um, you have just come off of a couple of weeks ago, what I believe the first fractional conference ever. That's right. You can yep. correct the record. Tell me a little bit about that. You have some very kind of fresh data, I guess we can call it, of yeah. what that community is after, what they're feeling, what's working, what's not. How, yeah. how did it go? And I know you probably spent a good chunk of your time educating folks, but what did you learn about well, what was, the community is up to right now? It was amazing. It really was. And, and uh, a lot came out of it and there was a lot of intention to what we do and what we did and accomplished. FRAC 2023 are, well, of the few goals that we're like, okay, let's focus. So we know mm -hmm. what we're trying to solve and what we're trying to accomplish. And the first thing was, 
We need to create a center of gravity for America in fractional. There needs to be a single place that we can go and be and exist and dialogue and educate and learn in advance. So the people who put it together were a lot of people from my Voyager U communities, a lot of people who aren't in it, but just fractionals across the world, New Zealand, England, like this thing is, is global. And so a lot of people were involved in it. I uh, like, let's do that. It needs a center of gravity. And so that was part one. There's some very big similarities between my mission and Voyager and what FRAC is up to, which is, I call it FOF, F-O-F, Freedom, Opportunity, and Fulfillment. That's another goal with FRAC and Voyager, which is this exists to provide space for freedom for folks, opportunity and fulfillment. The other four is for all. Uh, Freedom, opportunity, and fulfillment for all. And so freedom, like, yes, you don't have to have eight hours a day in useless meetings. You're not necessarily here for that opportunity. There's more opportunity for you than what comes with this one job, one paycheck. You just don't know it yet. And it can come in clients. It can come in projects. It can come in board roles. It can come in teaching and open yourself up to that. And then fulfillment. When you work fractional, you work for every business that's not on the Fortune 500 list. Fortune 500 needs full-timers. Fortune 2000 needs full-timers. For the most part, we'll get there. But they yeah. need full-timers now. But, and, and so in doing so, you're serving you know, manufacturing company Y that's making $50 million a year and X, which is a startup and all that. You're serving those 33 million businesses in the US. And it's very fulfilling work because you're going yeah. in and you're, you're moving them forward by leaps and bounds and changing lives and helping communities, it's very fulfilling. So that's the third F. And then for Hmm. all really matters, for us anyway. And so that's what we were sought to do with FRAC. And for the most part, I think we accomplished it. Yeah, well, I've heard good things coming out of it. I've had some friends who were there and um, saw some good stuff coming out of it. So um, excited to hear more as we go. And maybe there'll be a FRAC 2024. And hopefully we get back on. The committee meeting on that. Okay. All right. Well, Frack New Zealand, sure. Frack England, Frack 2024. It's all in the mix. I love it. I yeah. love it. Okay. So let's let's talk about the book. You have a new book out. It just came out a few weeks ago. It's Ooh. called Revolt, The Rise of Fractional and the Death of Full-Time. Yeah. It's great. I read it. It's like I said, it's a really helpful read and definitely providing a guide for this conversation today. And you don't pull punches, John. You you say that work is killing us. Yeah. And in the title, you pronounce that, you know, the death of the full-time role. As yeah. you mentioned a little bit, there's this kind of through line between the great resignation and quiet quitting and the rise of fractional. Tell us a little bit more. Just like give us the overview of the book, I guess, as we've been talking about it. And yeah, why you felt like you had to write it. I, I felt like I had to write it because I think... I think it needed to be said and why pull punches in the first place? You know, like sometimes you just have to call balls and strikes as you see them Yeah. through my own lens. I'm biased. I'm one guy. I'm just a Gen X dude, right? Like, okay, I'm just one person. I'm no better or worse than anybody else. What I saw through my fractional journey and, and helping and training others was what I learned was there is a great opportunity. There's a great disservice and a great opportunity in front of the American worker right now. And I, I thought I need to get out there and illustrate what's going on and help people understand 
the amazing screwing we've been subjective to for many decades, why that exists. But yet on the other side, the amazing opportunity that exists if we can just not acquiesce to the status quo of full-time. Yeah. I didn't want to pull punches. I wanted to be very clear on, listen, there is a structure in place that doesn't benefit most people. And that's not American. That's not the American way. That's not why we're here as a country. Mm -hmm. Those aren't our ideals. Our ideals aren't let a small percentage make most of the money and have a thumb down on the rest. That's not yeah. what we believe in this country. It's not what we're, it's not even democracy. And I felt that was under threat because our current status quo, and I call hmm. it the full-time status quo. And I don't put the full-time on the worker. I pull, and I, I, it's the idea that uh, you saw some of the data in the book. We yeah. were doing great from 1950 to 1970. Companies growing, wages are growing, everything's going up together. John F. Kennedy, rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. Then in the mid 70s, we said, nope, it's about shareholders. Yeah. That created a culture and a movement and a drive that said shareholders win all among before all, and that changed everything, right? So all of a sudden, we yeah. the, the the growth of of prosperity decoupled, and our yeah. the workers' growth just flattened for the most part. It grew, but not nearly at the rate of what was being produced in the economy. Yeah. So that structure that we created as a society and maintained as a society, first of all, I don't think it was sustainable. Work is extremely unhealthy. Now, if you love your work and you're passionate about your work, I work like crazy. I work crazy hours because I love it. I love it. I love what I do. I'm independent. But it's not about hours worked, right? It's about the yeah. way you work and what you're working for. And so yeah. I had to write the book and expose, like, there's a break here. And by the way, I'm not the only one exposing this. Look up John Stewart on the American economy. Look up the wonderful professor Scott Galloway out of NYU Stern, like, there, look at Simon Sinek. Like, there's talk about the same dynamic. Mr. Wonderful, what's his name from Shark Tank? I can't remember his name. Like Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary. He's like, a paycheck is what they give you to give up on your dreams. So I heard all that, and I'm like, well, I got to jump in and, and, and add to that voice. Yeah. So along with them, I decided I'm not pulling any punches on what I see either. I think you really do paint a compelling narrative and picture and actually, just to zoom in on something you said, you you talked about the 1970s, mm -hmm. and there's this character in your book who is present throughout, and his name is Milton Friedman. For those yes. who don't know who Milton Friedman is, yeah. you sort of point a lot of things to him of yeah. how we got to where we are now. For anyone yeah. who doesn't know who he is or what he has to do with this conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about him and why he's such a central character? Sure. So brilliant mind. I think if you read the book, you kind of consider him a little bit of a foe and, and rightly so. Friedman and Friedman economics, part of what that gave us was this shareholder economy. And that's a, the corporation, yeah. the company's greatest responsibility is to deliver money back to its shareholders. Yeah. That's the core. And in profit foods, above all else, profit right? above all else, right? Profit above all else. And so in doing so, that set forth social, cultural, and economic norms that we lived to until recently. And when you believe in profit above all else, we're seeing the worst of that now. So in 76, it wasn't that bad. But yeah. as it grew and became what it was, it got terrible. I'll give you an example. Insulin. Profit above all else says 600 bucks for a vial of insulin. It cost us 16 cents to make. Because that profit to our shareholders is more important 
than the people who take it or the workers who help us make it. And this bullshit that says, hey, wait a minute. No, we got to charge that because all this research we do and all that, like, we see you, we can use Google. You're getting government funding for that. So yeah. but this, this norm, right, this norm of profit before all else really damaged us as a society and continues to the point where people die. Yeah. And you think about that, go, no, not on my watch. That's not what we're here for. The people of the world, the people of America deserve better than that. And I don't mean to be political because I'm not, but I, 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 it's important that I voice that out. Like that created you know, the butterfly effect of where we are today. And it's not a, yeah. it's not a knock on capitalism. It's a knock on profit before all else. Capitalism does not say profit before all else. That's a mistake yeah. people make. Not the yeah. tenets of capitalism. So, so Friedman important. started it and now he yeah. has to live with it. <laughs> it's an important differentiator. And just to, I think you, it might be in the opening of the book even, but you say the number one cause of death is heart disease Yep. The number one cause of heart disease is stress, mm -hmm. and the number one cause of stress is work. I think, yeah, I, I think without kind of that very sort of simple dynamics, maybe someone listening would go, "Why is this guy talking about people dying?" But when you spell it out like that, yeah. it seems pretty simple. And so I just wanted it to really is. It's it's you know, there's this weird thing that happens when we normalize things, hmm. right? Like that, everything you just use my research in the book, use your own research, you're going to come to the same conclusion. Heart disease is heart disease is terrible. The cause yeah. of it is stress. The cause of, of stress is work. Like these are just facts that we see. But yeah. yet we've normalized that. It's okay. As long yeah. as the economy does good, we accept that. Yeah. Or we do worse and say that's not really the problem. Yeah. Right? And so, but it is true. And it's been normalized. And you stop and go, well, wait a minute. That's not the point. I'm not here to live to 62 and then have a heart attack and keel over. That's not the point. My kids, my relationships don't need that out of me, my community. So there has to be a different path here. And that's what fractional is, a different path. So I, I do take some sinister looks at it, but not for theatrics to say what we have normalized and what we do normalized can still be extremely damaging as it is. I, listen, I mean, we've normalized. Everybody can have an AR-15 in this country if they want to our own detriment to people dying. And for some reason, we can't move anything off of that. Which is just, we normalize things that we shouldn't normalize. We normalize work and sickness, and we can't do that. There's a lot to love about SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor for Connection Request. Every time I talk to SK's founder, Sam Chelberg, I'm fascinated to learn more about what makes their coffee so special and why people are so drawn to them. Here's Sam. We're not a company that you're going to get the exact same thing over and over again. It's always going to be an exploration. This is literally an agricultural product, and every year it's different. So it's like wine in that way. But something even more special than the coffee itself has always stood out to me. It's the entire SK team's passion. They treat their work like a real art form, and each of them care deeply about coffee's people, place, and process. Here's Sam again. The way we're trying to tell that story is not through, you know, interesting crafted cocktail coffee drinks, right? It's all, what is the coffee trying to say? What is the producer, the place, the plant itself trying to say the process? And we are literally translating 
that communication from the raw product into your cup. To learn more about SK Coffee, visit skcoffeeplease.com or check out their excellent Instagram page. If you live in Minnesota, stop into one of their cafes in St. Paul or Minneapolis. You might even spot me there. All those links are in the show notes. Okay, now back to the show. Just to stick on this the shareholder capitalism thing for a minute, a few years ago, the Business Roundtable, a group representing some of the biggest companies in the world, they came out and they kind of said, hey, we also care about our community and our employees, and we still really care about profits, but we're also going to think about sort of the holistic stakeholder ecosystem. Mm-hmm. A few years on from that, in your assessment, especially as you've written this book, Mm-hmm. Did they mean that? Did anything really change by that? It did in small business, but I don't know if they needed a round table to come up with that. Small yeah. business behaves in a way that is super healthy for America. Amazingly healthy. And let me be clear on who I mean. Most of the business is off the Fortune 2000 list. The way they have to survive, the way they have to grow, they have to be very attentive to the things that the larger section gives platitudes to. Yeah. Like you can't have a small business that's doing 10 million that wants to get to 20 without taking great care of your employees and being a good steward in your community because everything is local. Like you, it just doesn't work. So the, the nature of fractional and the nature of the kind of care you have to put towards everything is different in small business America. So that's the model. But honestly, that's where the next wave of 50 years of prosperity is going to come from there. But the words that were said and the commitment doesn't match the actions. Well, I'll tell you, we have so many people coming to Fractional telling us the opposite. Work is still toxic. I'm still underpaid. There's still sexism, racism, and ableism there. Like those things that said we got to care for our people, those social markers, I don't see any evidence that they move. Yeah. To their own detriment, because the businesses that do get it, the businesses that say and act like, wow, yeah, you know, our people really matter. And they act on it and they believe it. And then they lead from behind and underneath. They're killing it. And their people are happy. Costco, right? Like those who live those words are doing really well. So it is a Mm -hmm. recipe for success, but it is outside of most people's comfort zone. Yeah. John, one thing that, is throughout the book and you talked about a little bit is fractional seems like um, a way to kind of combat ageism in the workforce a little bit. At least that's how it reads and feels to me. And as far as I can tell anyway, there used to be this thing for a lot of companies where if you went and you put in your time and you were a good employee they mm-hmm. took care of you and you had a job there for a long time. And maybe you yeah. work at one, maybe two companies, a handful of companies, maybe one right. until you retired. Yeah. And that, in my experience in the workforce, is not the case anymore. Not the case. And I think you, you talk a, lo- a lot about ageism. So can you draw that out a little yeah. bit for me? I, yeah. I think that's a really important part of this conversation. It is. And this is where I get really positive because I am actually a very positive, optimistic guy. Yeah. Think about it this way. You're going along in your career and every day you're in it and every time, every moment you spend in there, you're learning, right? That's just the nature of things. If your eyes are open and your ears are opening, you're learning. And what you're doing is you're collecting power. You're collecting wisdom and you're sticking it in your backpack. So by the time you're in your fifties or sixties, 
your backpack is full of wisdom, chock full, right? Awesome, right? So now with Fractional, we have a way for you to pull that out and yeah. deliver it back to the marketplace. Like that just makes perfect sense and logic. And that's exactly what's happening. Small businesses are like, I need some of that wisdom. Can you pull it out of your backpack for me? I see you have a full backpack. And so that's what's happening. So that's how it works. Why? It, why didn't we recognize or why don't we act on that? The status quo structure, like this in the title of my book, you know, status quo, full-time status quo, the status quo structure has not adopted for that. So if you think about like the corporate growth model in America, a ladder, very thin, a few places. Yeah. If there's a person on their way to the top, there's 50 or 60 or 100 below. Hmm. Still collecting the same amount of wisdom, but they just, that structure does not have room there for them to take yeah. more and put, put it. So it has to go somewhere else in the economy for our economy to do well. And fractional allows for that. So that's one reason. The other kind of comes from the industrial area. When we were building cars and airplanes and doing things on a production line um, of people were seen of as standard units, like you're six hours drilling this bolt, you're basically a machine, right? And that caused us to relate time to value. Hmm. And when we decided time equals value, we started acting in certain ways. Like, okay, your value is time. So I'm going to track your time and I'm going to look at your time. And, and, and that is what carried us forward long before its utility. Because human hmm. beings, our value isn't in time. Our value is in our creativity and our genius and our relationship ability. We're not standard production units. Yeah. So it's a layover, a little bit a layover from that, which is eroding, right? Which is eroding. But it's a little bit of a layover from the industrial era thinking. And then this hmm. place in between where we're, we're moving into the age of wisdom work, a little bit of a renaissance. I love it, right? And we're going to really benefit as a society as the more we move in that direction. And, you know, speaking of things we don't like, like ageism, you in the book, I think, talk about fractional also being an antidote to some really ugly trends in corporate America, some of which we've talked about. Um, yeah. I'm going to quote a section of the book. Uh, it's not office politics. It's not ladder climbing. It's not toxicity. It's not long commutes. It's not disrespect. It's not useless meetings. It's not sexist, racist, homophobic, ableist, or ageist. First of all, that sounds great. I want to go there. That sounds mm -hmm. good. It almost sounds too good to be true. So keep me honest, but I know you're an optimistic guy. But if things are headed indeed in this direction that you sort of say it is, can you paint us a picture of how does this affect sort of workforce and corporations over the next, I don't know, let's say 10 to 15 years out if we play this out? Oh, my gosh. So just at the surface level, if we find a mechanism in a way where we can take all the wisdom and skills and beauty of, and talent of people, regardless of age, race, sex, so all of that, right, and go, we see you for your gifts. And if we create a structure where we can see that and yeah. remove elements that keep us from accessing that for stupid reasons, right? Those structures were in place for the last 50 years, last 100 years, right? And Fractional has an ability to change that dynamic. Certainly at Voyager and with Frac, we're out to do that. So the math, women still make 77 cents on the dollar as their male counterparts on average. Yeah. Non-white people, 66 cents. People with, you know, paraplegic or some ableism issue, less, right? Now, is that a reflection of their gifts and ability? Absolutely not. Hmm. 
experience? Absolutely not. In fact, you would argue that those who had more challenges in the status quo probably have more useful experience hmm. than those who didn't because it was a harder role, right? Yeah. So my hope with fractional is, and, and it does happen, is to find a way to get us to focus on the person and the skill and the gifts and not worry and think about the rest. Now, here's where I see that coming home. Let's say that you are a wonderful person and you're driving down the road and you're really good at what you do and you're 48 years old and you get in a car accident and you're paraplegic. It happens every day in America, often enough, right? Now, does that mean you can no longer work? Does that mean the gifts that you have are gone? No, it just means your body isn't able to deliver on that. So now we have fractional, right? It's like, okay, what are the things that, if that happens to you, what are the things that are going to be an obstacle for you returning to work? It's not the commute anymore because you can do it from home. Yeah. Right? So all of a sudden we have the, this ability to continue to access those gifts and those skills from everybody, regardless of the things that used to social mores and these terrible things that held us back from accessing those. That is so great for America. It's unbelievable. And we just have mm. to get there. My hope is fractional plays a role in tapping into the gifts, which will undo those problems we've had with sexism, mm. racism, ageism, and ableism. It'll undo those because of its, its focus in the right place. So it's not necessarily going to do it because we're going to attack it. It's we're going to work around it. Sign me up. That sounds good. John, <laughs> we've been talking a lot, rightly so, about the US, which is where we both live, but we have listeners to this show in the UK, in South Africa, mm -hmm. Spain. Shout out to Carla, listener number one. What are you seeing based on your research and your community on kind of the global movement? You mentioned a couple of countries. Yeah. Is the US leading on this? What, as, as much as you can tell, what does kind of that global landscape look like for fractional? It, the global landscape is, it's very similar wherever you are on the globe for the most part. So for example, we just concluded FRAC 2023, literally during FRAC. We yeah. had requests to do it in New Zealand, London, Spain. So other countries are like, that were here or heard about, like, we need that here. Yeah. Whatever that was, whatever that moment we created for fractional was, they said, we, we need some of that here. Now, I can only surmise I'm not in Spain, I'm not in London, I'm not in Auckland, but I can only surmise the reasons we it is doing well here and growing here exist over there. Yeah, uh, I'd agree. Have not seen it out of out of China or India yet. I don't know why. Maybe who knows why, but I suspect we will. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it is a global thing. Cool. You know, John, as, as you said, fractional is primarily for people 45 and up. That's sort of the target audience we're talking right. about. What about, you know, for those earlier in their career, let's just talk about under 45 for a minute. Yeah. The world of work and the landscape and a lot of the trends yeah. that you described, it is shifting for us, yep. those people as well. And yeah. maybe those people might not be ready for fractional yet, or it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Obviously, they haven't put in the hours the, and sure. gotten the wisdom yet. Mm -hmm. What would you say, though, to those people based on what you're seeing as they think about, you know, how do you plan for a career of decades that is sort of taking advantage of all these yeah. shifts? What would be some yeah. wisdom for us young folk? Yeah, for for the young folk. Well, in, it, it sounds weird, but in its first phase coming to our shores and growing, it, absolutely, for if, you're, if you've amassed wisdom, you're of a certain stage. And you have that value to offer. So it makes sense if you're over 45 years old. There's just logic there. Right? Yeah. Um, many people in those say, 
I've suffered long enough. It's time to get paid, right? There's the Gen Xers and the, and the boomers often say that. What I would say to people in the generations behind, you know, the millennials yeah. and all that is learn it, embrace it. This is going to be your life. In fact, this is the life you want for yourself. You've already said so. So when we yeah. poll people that are millennials and young millennials or old, we poll the next generations down and ask the same questions that would have been answered a different way years ago. Do you see yourself working for the same company for 40 years and getting a retirement? Absolutely not. I don't want that. I'm not even interested in that. Yeah. I literally would not, I would, I behave and pursue in such a way where I don't have to do that. Now, why? Because they saw what it did to their parents and it didn't really look that great to them. And let's dispense with the myth right now that millennials are lazy. There's this narrative that comes out of boomers for the most part, because they don't look like them. They're lazy. They're the hardest working people and the most enlightened people they are. They're just not stupid. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I have a lot of gifts. Now you may not have 30 years of wisdom, but to work across a couple of different disciplines in a couple of different ways over time, you're gaining wisdom as you go. And knowing you're not going to go to a place where you want, want one job and one salary when you want those limitations. Well, then you kind of have to start thinking through a fractional lens because that's the model that's taking place in America right now. If it's not one job, one, one salary, permanent full-time, then what else can it be? Consulting, freelance, fractional, or just getting out, right? Being an yeah. you know, entrepreneur and starting up on your own. So the generations behind us, and I'm saying when I say us, I mean Gen Xers like me, the generations behind us, it uh, behooves them to embrace this. It's not hard, right? They get it. They understand it. They're very smart. They're very educated population. You are like, yeah, well, I'm not going to work 60, 70 hours a week and not see my kids for a paycheck yeah. that can leave. And because I have to have health insurance and I'm going to stay there, even though I hate the job and it's killing me, like those status quo things, it ain't happening in the following generations. It's not even really a thought. So you're well on your way already, I should say, just by your values, just hmm. by your values. Hmm. Hmm. We have um, a lot to learn from the younger generation. Hmm. Well, like, and well, speaking for my generation, likewise, right? I, I, mm -hmm. We all have something right. to learn from each other. Part of the genesis of the show, honestly, is yeah. everybody has something to teach each other about right. career journeys. Right. John, one thing that I really appreciate about not only your book, but just it, I'm coming to figure out you as a human is you talk a lot about giving. And you talk about giving as the greatest tool for business development. And honestly, mm -hmm. I think it's just sort of an attitude, a mindset mm -hmm. for those of us who can. It, it, it's one that really resonates with me. And I'll say my business partner and I have already been talking about this um, for us as we explore the world of, of business development. And mm -hmm. it's something that resonates. So could you tell me a little bit about how and when did you learn that? And, and tell me a little bit about why to you that's an important part of this. Yeah. Giving and other things I'll mention sort of in the same context, I just looked at what are the structures, what are the things that work in fractional and looking through the objective lens, like what are the bits and pieces that make it work for everybody? And I studied that and I thought, what does it look like? And it does not, again, look like the former status quo, which is essentially extraction economics. Yeah. So what does it look like? And I came across, I met, I had a chance to meet Bob Berg, who wrote uh, The Go-Giver. Great mm -hmm book and great person. And uh, I learned a lot in reading that book. And, and what I learned was probably something that we all learned as children and somehow forgot along the way, do unto others, right? As you want done it done to yourself. 
I don't say that for religious reasons. That's just what my mom said, right? Yeah. And But a giving mindset. In the fractional world, it's really important that you put out good vibes, right? It really matters. That's one of the mechanics. And a giving mindset and also a vulnerable mindset, hmm. a grateful mindset, hmm. that by practicing those and being deliberate and intentional about those things, you are putting out such good vibes that the universe can only deliver back to you goodness that comes from that. If you're a jerk, you're putting out jerk vibes and the fractional economy does not do well with jerk vibes. You're out, right? Now, jerk vibes worked great in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Thank you. You know, greed is good from Wall Street, right? Like jerk yeah. vibes did a thing and it caused our economy to crash in 2008 in a horrible <laughs> way. Those aren't the vibes that work out here. And those aren't hmm. the vibes anybody wants anymore. I think we sort of aged out on the things that come from extraction economics. And I think we're moving into um, giving economics. There's a great book called Beloved Economies by Jess Remington. And it talks about that. Like, hey, it doesn't have to be about taking and extraction. And yeah. that applies to all aspects of being a fractional pro. When you network and connect, give. When yeah. you're, as Bob talks about in his podcast and other things, when you're uh, serving a client, bring way more value than getting paid for. Yeah. Giving mindset. It's powerful stuff. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with being fulfilled in this as well. Yeah. Well, John Arms, I am grateful for you for Thank giving you. so much of your time to us today and Thank the you. good vibes that you've brought. The book is great. It's called Revolt, The Rise of Fractional and the Death of Full-Time. Beyond picking up the book, which is just a really great kind of guide to this world, mm -hmm. where else can um, listeners keep following you and what yeah. you're up to as this journey unfolds? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And so you can always find me and friend me and follow my content. We've got the, I've got a blog. I've got a newsletter. We've got Voyager U, which is where we train fractional. We have a LinkedIn online community. So I'm very active in there. Very active in the Fractionals United community, which mm -hmm. is a totally different community, but a great one. So if there's a fractional place, I'm usually not far behind. <laughs> John, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope people check out the book. Congratulations to you on it and Frack. John Arms Mayor, Frackville, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Joel. That is it for today's episode of Connection Request. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you make sure you're following us? It'd mean a lot. Today's show is produced by Marie Ionazzo and me, Joel Lehman. Our theme music is by the amazing Mike Lauer and his band Viewers Like You. It's from their album Panoramia. The show is a production of Shrug Content, a podcast studio based in Minnesota. You can learn more about us at shrugcontent.com. Special thanks to SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor. You can learn more about them at skcoffeeplease.com. If you live around the Twin Cities, ping me. I'll take you there myself. First cup is on me. You can connect with the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Send us feedback, guest ideas, and funny TikToks at connect at shrugcontent.com. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.